Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Hello, thank you for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. Uh, Today is Monday, December 14th. And we're going to be looking at the doctrine of the Trinity. So today we're continuing our study through our doctrinal statement. And uh, I think it is so appropriate and right that last week we started this discussion with uh, understanding the importance of the inerrancy and infallibility and the sufficiency of Scripture. Because the subject that we're going to talk about today is one of those that, to be honest with you, we cannot wrap our minds around. We can try every way possible. We can we can come up with illustrations that are man-made and and just they start to look like they're really good and explain, but then they all have holes, they all break down. And and the reality is the doctrine that we're going to talk about today is one of those doctrines that ultimately we just have to accept by faith. And we have to look at the different uh parts of this doctrine and see uh we have to go to God's word and find what God says about these things. And we have to accept by faith that these things are true. If we try to reconcile every little detail and every part in our mind, we'll drive ourselves crazy and, uh, and never be able to do that. So, so today we're talking about the Trinity, the, the Godhead, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit as one true God. And, uh, and so excited to be able to, to dive into God's word and to, to look at this today. Um, we're going to talk three different things. First of all, we're going to talk about the definition, what it means, what the Trinity means when we say, what do we mean when we say that we believe in the Trinity and that God is three in one? Then we're going to look at biblical evidence uh, that support this understanding. Uh, and then we're going to c- close out our time with just talking about why it matters. Why is it important that we believe in the Trinity? Why is it important that families we work with uh, believe in the Trinity? And why does it really matter in the grand scheme of things. So let's start with with a definition. Uh, And if we look to our doctrinal statement here at Lifeline, uh, we say we believe in God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, you can you can dive deeper. And of course, there are a lot of much more complex uh, definitions. One I, I felt was a good definition I found is God is absolutely and eternally one essence subsisting in three distinct and ordered persons without division and without replication of the essence. Uh, if you boil it down to the most simple terms, I remember even as a child learning this definition, uh, that he's one God existing in three distinct persons all the time in complete unity. And uh, again, it's it's hard for us to to wrap our minds around what that could be. If it's three, how is it one? If it's one, how is it three? And um, there are different thoughts that have uh, risen over the centuries um, that are actual heresy that are not true and that, that again, break down. One of those is modalism, uh, which gives the thought and the idea that that the Trinity is represented as one single person, but then appears in three different forms depending on what is needed. Uh, there have been books written about this, movies made about this. And of course, the story is over the year, different uh, different beliefs that have popped up that, that, uh, that have perpetrated this idea of modalism. Uh, but the problem is, 
for the for for the gospel to be true and for God's word to be true, each of these three can't exist in different persona at different times. They are all active in their own responsibilities, in their own roles, all simultaneously, all at the same time. And so modalism cannot be true. Uh, another way that the Trinity has been rejected is as 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 tri tritheism. Uh, this is the the issue that the Jews have. They say if we're if you believe in the Trinity, then you have to think that there believe that there are three distinct gods. Uh, there are other uh, religions that that reject this as well. Uh, but again, there the the Jews run back to the whole Shema: the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one, and and they say how can you have three distinct uh, three different gods? If you have Jesus as God and Holy Spirit as God, then that's three different gods that you're worshiping. But again, when we recognize the biblical understanding that these three are one. Uh, it is, it is not that. And so, and so what does the Bible have to say about the Trinity? We're going to start with the verses that we have listed in our doctrinal statement, and we're going to read a lot of verses today. So just kind of maybe jot down references as you go, or go back and listen later to, uh, to get, to get these. But I think it's important that we let scripture speak for itself. And especially when it's one of these things that we can't really understand in our finite minds, it's important that, that scripture do most of the talking. So let's read some of these verses uh, together. Uh, first of all, Matthew 3, 16 through 17. All of these verses have different ways that they show and denote the Trinity. Maybe it's it's all three acting in one time frame uh, in a verse. Maybe it's uh, verses that, that proclaim each and every part of the Trinity as God. But let's look at these verses together. Matthew three verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 1, just a great passage uh, proclaiming Christ as God. John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You continue in John chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Continuing John 1, verses 29 through 34. The next day he saw Jesus. This is John uh, speaking about John. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit, here's the Spirit now, descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. You see there, as well as in Matthew 3, you're seeing uh, all three parts of the Godhead all represented at one time. They're not an individual. They're not coming as one, doing one purpose, and then one checks out and the other one checks in. It's not a, a tag team wrestling match. One tags out, the other comes in. We see all three at one time in one place 
But yet we, again, see and know that they all distinctly are one God. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. You go to uh, the writings of Paul, and Paul explicitly uh, talks about the, the Trinity in different ways throughout his writings. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, again, we see clear evidence of the working of each, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all doing the work of God. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 4, 4 through 6, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So here again, we see all three distinctly working. We see God is the one that is initiating things and is sending the son to provide for redemption. We see God, who is the, the father who is over the law. But now we see the son who has placed himself under the law so that he could live that perfect life so that we who are under the law could find salvation in him. So we see the father initiating things and sending the son, the son coming to provide that redemption, to, to live under the law so that he could uh, be the one that to pay the price for our sin. And then we see the spirit of God's son uh, coming into our hearts, which is the one that connects us in relationship uh, with the father. So we see all three actively at work here, doing the work of one true living God, doing the work of one God. And it is imperative that we see each of them in their distinct roles, but also understand and wrestle with and come together with the understanding that they are one God. In the very beginning of Scripture, we start off with this understanding. The very first verse of Scripture, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God there is the Hebrew word Elohim, which is in the plural form. So even from the beginning, it, it is stating that it's one God, but in a plural form. And then he goes on and uses language himself. God uses language himself to describe himself in a plural sense. Um, he, he says in uh, later in that uh, in, in Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our image. And there was no man created at that point. So who was God referring to as this us? He was referring to himself in the person of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So he's saying, let us make man in our image. There's other times where God uses the same verbiage, the same language. In Isaiah, um, when, he, when, when Isaiah chapter 6, when he calls Isaiah, uh, Isaiah has this great commissioning. He says, who will go for us? Uh, he is sending out. And so, and so God refers to himself in a plural sense. Uh, so that we we understand that. Now, again, if, if this is going to be true, if the Father, Son, and Spirit are all to be uh, a part of this Godhead and all a part of this Trinity, and to, again, re re to understand that modalism is not the way that this happens, we see that they all three must be one God. There must be one triune God. And again, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the great Shema, uh, where God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So this God that we recognize in three persons is still one God. Uh, he is in singularity of, of, of personhood, of, of who he is. He is, he is one God displaying himself and, and, and doing the work uh, of three individuals. So each of these must, we must recognize, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Isaiah 45, uh, 4, uh, 45, 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. 
So there's not three different gods. There's not tritheism. There's not three different gods. There is one God, but this one God reveals himself in the work of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Scripture has a lot to do to, to say to help us understand what it what it means to be God. But there are at least three things uh, about each part of the Trinity that we see in Scripture that, again, reveal and show them to be one God. Um, first of all, the Bible claims that they are God. And, and so if the, if the Holy Spirit is God, if the Son is God, if Father is God, then Scripture needs to claim that. And for each of these three, Scripture claims that they are God, that He is, he is God. So the Father is God, Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Jesus is God, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So in Jesus, all of who God is dwelt within Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God, Acts chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter said, this is when Ananias and Sapphira came and and lied uh, before God. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own, not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So, so Peter says to Ananias, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? And then in saying and doing that, he is recognizing and saying that in lying to the Holy Spirit, Ananias was not lying to a man, but he was lying to God. So the Holy Spirit is God. Scripture claims that all three, uh, both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all recognized as the one God. Another thing that Scripture shows is that all three uh, parts of the Trinity were involved in creation and are referred to in Scripture as the Creator, as the Creator. So let's look, let's look at that together. Of course, we know, uh, we just read Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. God said this. God saw it and it was, and it was good. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, the Father is referred to as the Creator. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter and all we are and all we are the work of your hand. So the father is the one that created all of us. All of us are a result of his creation. Jesus is creator. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 17. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So, so Jesus there, by him, all things were created. Uh, John 1, the verses we read earlier, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus also is seen as the creator. But even the Holy Spirit is seen as the creator. Again, we see him referenced in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. But then in Job chapter 33, verse 4, Job says, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So we see all three distinct parts of the Trinity recognized as God. Scripture says they are God. We see them all involved in creation and all referred to as the creator, as a creator. Uh, and then and then another thing that we see throughout Scripture is that they all are eternal. The Father, Son, and Spirit are all eternal. They always have existed, and they always will exist. Uh, we see that in Psalm number 90, verse 2, that we see that the Father is eternal. 
before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Jesus is eternal. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, thou, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So the prophecy here that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born, but it's saying this one that would be born, he is from uh, from of old, he is from everlasting. He always has existed, everlasting. He's an everlasting being, always has existed, always will exist. The Holy Spirit is eternal. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. So again, we see all these different things that we, we try to wrap our mind around and we try to wrestle with this understanding that one being, one God could exist in three different persons, completely distinct in their roles, but at the same time existing in those three persons all at the same time, all with one in, in complete unity and complete oneness as one God. We can't comprehend that. So we have to look to God's word. We have to look to scripture and we have to allow scripture to dictate what we believe. So even if we can't understand it and figure it out, we have to see clearly over and over and over again. And, and this is just really the, the tip of the iceberg. There's so many passages of scripture throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament that point to God as a triunity, as the, the triune nature of our God, as the Trinity, one God existing in three persons all at the same time. Uh, in, and in the same, and in, 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 in complete, full unity. So we, we've seen the definition, we've seen the biblical evidence, but but let's let's conclude our time just by thinking about why does it matter? Why is it important that we believe the Trinity, and what what are the ramifications if the Trinity are not true? If this is not a true. Uh, doctrine worthy of our belief. Um, the reality is we, we, we must believe the Trinity and the Trinity matters because the gospel matters. Uh, it, it, it is imperative that we understand that we can't have salvation without the, without the Trinity being a true reality. Uh, we, we have to have one God that provides things, but yet at the same time, there are various roles that each of the three parts of the triune God, each of them play in our salvation, each of them play in the message of the gospel. And in each of these different things that they do, it is imperative that they be completely and fully God, or they would not have the power to be able to carry out what they claim that they are. And so our salvation uh, would be completely non-existence. There would be no hope for us. If, if not for the understanding, the evidence, if they were not for the evidence of the Trinity and the reality uh, of the Trinity being uh, being true and being a true doctrine that we that we must hold to and that we must uh, be able to to rest in. So let's let's look at this for, for just a moment. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter number one. Ephesians chapter one. This is where we read Galatians four earlier. That I think gives a clear picture of uh, the different parts of the of the Trinity and the different ways that they're engaged in our salvation. But I think Ephesians chapter one, the first fourteen verses of Ephesians, really, which is um, just bedrock doctrinal understanding of salvation, who we are in Christ, our spiritual identity. Um, I think Paul very clearly in Ephesians chapter one, one through fourteen, shows us the distinct role of each part of the Trinity. And again, with an understanding that if any part of this were not there, our salvation will not be secure. If any part of this was not being controlled by and kept by God himself, then our salvation would not be secure. 
we could not trust in the reality of the gospel. We could not trust uh, in, in, in him for our salvation. And so as we read this passage, I want you to think through and listen to it. And we're going to walk through. We're going to see each of the different roles that are played by each part of the Godhead and see the importance of one. Number one, we can't, we can't have salvation without any of these three aspects of it. And number two, if any of these three aspects were controlled by someone who was not God, the reality is our salvation would not be available and would not be uh, a reality in our lives. So let's read Ephesians chapter one, and then we're going to look at the role of each, uh, both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul, of course, opens the book, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to now go through 3 through 14, really just explaining the the, the blessing of salvation and, and what salvation is all about. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see God Father recognized here, who has blessed us in Christ, which is Jesus Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Here's the Holy Spirit is recognized now, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see here the beautiful picture of, of our salvation. And it's just a rich passage of scripture. I love the book of Ephesians and, and how clearly God uh, expresses and shows uh, our identity and, and that our identity is, is in him and, and the work that he has done for us. But we see here, we see three distinct uh, roles that are played. First of all, we see the role of the father. And the role of the father is that he planned out our salvation. Then we see the role of the son. The, the son paid for and provided for our salvation. And then we see the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit protects our salvation. So let, let's look at each of these individuals. We see, uh, first of all, the role of the father, that he planned out our salvation. It says very clearly there uh, that even, verse 4, even as he, speaking of the father, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. God chose us. What an awesome thought that is. Uh, and the reality is we could not we could not come to him on our own. Ephesians 2 is going to tell us we were completely dead and hopeless, so there's no way that we could get to him without him setting his sight on us and him choosing us. John 15, verse 16, you have not chosen me, but 
that I have chosen you. Uh, Paul tells us here that this happened before the foundation of the world with the goal and with the plan that we would be holy uh, and without blame. We also see the role of the Father as he plans our salvation, that he adopted us. And this speaks of his purpose for us. Uh, he adopted us into, into uh, his family. Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, it, it is the Father who, who, cho who chose us, who adopted us, and then he accepted us. He accepted us. We are accepted in the beloved. Paul, beloved, Paul says there uh, in, in Ephesians 1, we are accepted by the Father. Um, no matter what is in our past, we are accepted of God because of Jesus, because of the work that Jesus did uh, in us and through us. So the role of the Father, it's the Father that planned out our salvation. He is the, the one that organized our salvation, that planned this out, that laid out the plan for us to be saved. The second part we see is the role of the Son. And the Son here paid for and provided for our salvation. We read this over and over again through as we go through this passage um, because God is saying, it, it, it's saying here that the Father did these things, but the Father did these things in Christ, through Christ. It's through Christ and in Christ that these, that these different things happen. Um, first of all, it, it is Christ, it is in Christ that we are redeemed. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, through the blood of Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, for as much as ye know, Know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Remember, we read Galatians chapter 4 that Jesus came and, and, and placed himself under the law. He was submissive to the law so that he lived a perfect life without breaking the law so that he could redeem us by his blood so that he could pay the price for our freedom. And that's what really redeemed means to buy off the slave market, never to return to the slave market. Uh, it, it's the, there, there are different understandings of redeem and redemption throughout uh, biblical times. But the one that is referenced here, it's to, to take that one who was on the slave market, pull them, buy them off for your own purpose, your own use, but then free them to never return to that slave market. And that's exactly what God, we were, uh, God paid the penalty, paid the price through Christ, for our sin, redeemed us through his blood so that we can continue to walk in that freedom and in that redemption. Uh, we see not only that in Christ we are redeemed, but also in Christ we are forgiven. Uh, we have the, the, the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. To forgive means to carry away. Uh, again, John said of, of, of Jesus in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We have forgiveness because Jesus is God, and Jesus has taken away our sin. He has taken it. Psalm 3, verse 12, uh, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Are you getting excited today thinking about this and, and, and what we have uh, through Christ? Uh, he, we have redemption. We have forgiveness. Um, we have an understanding of God's will and a revealing of the mystery uh, that comes through Christ. Verse number, verse number eight, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Again, this revealing and this understanding, all the things that the prophets had, had pushed toward and, and spoken of and all the things the Old Testament pushed to, Christ was the fulfillment of all of that. Christ was the fulfillment of, of, God's, of God's plan. And so he is, uh, we, we are able to be a part uh, of, of this because of the, the work of Christ. 
But then we also see that through Christ, we have an inheritance. Everything that Christ has, I have uh, because of my relationship with him. Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Um, what wonderful benefits that God planned out for us and that Christ provides uh, for us. And so we see very clearly, God is the one that came up with the idea that has the plan for redemption. The father is the one that set out and planned our re, our, re, our uh, salvation, planned the gospel. It is Jesus who did the work necessary in order for us to be able to take part in the gospel and be a part uh, of this. It is Jesus that redeems us through his blood, that forgives us, that um, that, that reveals these things to us and, and shows us uh, the Father. We see the Father through him. Uh, but then finally, we see the role of the Holy Spirit as well. It is the Holy Spirit that protects our salvation, that keeps our salvation secure. Uh, we see in verse number 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We see here is the Holy Spirit that seals us. When we trust Christ for our salvation, we are secure in him through the working of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is what gives us eternal security. This is what gives us that, that security of the believer is the fact that the Holy Spirit keeps us secure in Christ until the day that we are one together with him for all eternity. We are able to be confident in our eternal salvation because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and we can be completely secure uh, because of, of what he did. There, there are several things that a seal was represented of. Uh, a seal was rep represented a completed transaction. Once a transaction was done, the seal would be placed upon it. A seal uh, revealed ownership. Uh, when, when someone's seal was placed on something, it showed that they were the owner, they were the possessor. A seal showed authority and security. Uh, again, a king's seal would signify his authority. So when his seal was placed on something, it would show uh, that it, his order could not be changed because it was done so based on the authority of the king. Um, but then a, a great thing is that the, a seal showed authenticity. Uh, a seal verifies that an article is genuine. That something is real. That's why uh, if you if you go to the uh, go to get your your new driver's license or you go to get uh, something handled in, with the government, they want the original birth certificate, right? That has the seal on it because that seal shows authenticity. And so it is it is Romans eight sixteen that says the Spirit, Holy Spirit, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So it is the Spirit that seals our salvation, that shows that it is real, that that keeps it secure. That, that that reveals that it is a, a completed transaction that cannot be gone back on. Um, it is the Spirit of God that provides these things for us. But then also we see that the Spirit is our earnest for our inheritance. He is the earnest for our inheritance, or uh, the earnest is, is a down payment to guarantee a final purchase. We just recently bought a house, and we had to put forth earnest money. And if something happened and that deal didn't go through, then then we we lost that earnest money because that was a, a, a down payment to guarantee that we were going to buy that house. The Holy Spirit is so much greater than that, but he is, he is our earnest money. We are, we are given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that God uh, will see his work through in us, that he will see it through to completion. And the Holy Spirit dwelling in us is that earnest payment that God has given us as a, uh, for our inheritance, uh, that, that we, that we have the assurance that we are going to, to receive this complete inheritance at the, at the end. 
Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, being earnest, it also in, in, in the Greek culture, and it's still used even in Greek culture today, was the, the understanding of the engagement ring. The engagement ring was, was so much more. It was, it's a guarantee that a promise will be kept. Um, one of my daughters just recently got engaged a couple of weeks ago, and she was given a beautiful ring. And that ring, her fiance gave her that ring as a promise saying, I am now in a, in, a, in a mindset, I am now in a stage of preparation where I am promising you that I am going to take you to be my wife and I am now preparing for our future life together. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does to us, even in a, in a greater sense. Uh, the Holy Spirit, God, when, when God saves us, we are completely in Christ. And so, and so while we are not in his presence like we will be in eternity future, but we, he says, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you the comfort. And, and the comfort is going to be with you. And that's going to be that guarantee to you that I am with you, that you are mine. And as he said in John 14, I am preparing a place for you. And you have the Holy Spirit as your guarantee, as your promise that our relationship is secure, that we are, uh, that we are, that you are secure in your relationship with me. And it is a promise that I'm going to one day uh, return and I'm, we're going to spend eternity together. So we, we see here again, we see the distinct role of each part of the Trinity. It's the Father who planned out our salvation. It's the Father who planned out the story of the gospel. The role of the Son is that he paid for and that he provided for our salvation. He is one that did that necessary work for our salvation to become real. And then is the Holy Spirit that protects that salvation and keeps that salvation secure. Do you see there that we're talking about, okay, there have to be three distinct roles because there are three distinct parts of this. But do you also see that we can't have any of these three not be God? Each of these three have to be God or their role breaks down. If the Father were not God, then how in the world could he lay out the plan and could he choose us? Would he have the authority and the ability to choose us before the foundation of the world? If Jesus were not completely God and a part of the Godhead, then he would not have had the ability to live a perfect life under the law, to be able to keep the law, to be able to do everything perfect, everything right in order to provide for our salvation and die in our place. If the Holy Spirit were not God, then there is no way that where our salvation could be secure because he would not have the power to keep us secure uh, if he were not God. So it's imperative that we understand and believe that we serve one God. We serve the one true living God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one God. But that one God shows himself, reveals himself, and carry out, carries out his functions in three distinct persons, all at the same time, all in one place. If, if he had to set aside his fatherhood in order to become the son, or if he had to set aside his sonhood in order to become the Holy Spirit, our salvation would crumble. We would have no hope today. We would have nothing uh, secure that we, can, that we can place our faith in. But the reality is he is one God. And he is one God in all three distinct parts and all three distinct parts are carrying out their purpose. Even right now, as we are waiting for Christ's return, they all three are carrying out their purposes and, and showing their work in the world and ultimately in the lives of those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. What a great thought this morning and uh, what a great encouraging uh, thing for us to understand and for us to recognize. This week, we are praying for the country of Poland, and so we want to lift our hearts before the Lord and ask him to uh, 
work in the lives specifically of children there in Poland and families that uh, he is calling to adopt uh, orphans from Poland. We want to pray specifically for two families that are in the process uh, of their adoption journey. And then also uh, we praise the Lord for two families that were able to come home, uh, bring children home to their forever family, uh, dear, even during this pandemic this year and during the time of COVID. And so we want to continue to uh, remember all four of these families as God works in their lives. We want to pray also for the ministry uh, there in Poland. Uh, there's been some difficult season over the last few years, and so we want to pray that they have uh, clear, there's clear communication um, with the ministry in Poland, uh, that local courts and judges will see the, the value of adoption and uh, will make the right decisions regarding these children, uh, that the, those who uh, oversee adoption in that country would, would look favorably and understand the heart of life and our desire to provide forever families for these children. We certainly want to uh, pray specifically for children who are waiting in Poland, uh, children that uh, are often older, larger sibling groups, have medical needs. Uh, we want to pray that these children, that God does provide for them a forever family. And then we want to want to pray for our team as they continue to, a team here at Lifeline, as they continue to deal with the uh, struggles and difficulties and issues that are that have happened there in Poland in the past and uh, to be able to make sure that the things uh, stay open there for us to minister to these children. We want to also pray uh, that God would open up doors for possible unadopted opportunities, that we would be able to provide that strategic orphan care uh, for children in country. And then we want to pray for uh, our team member, Sasha, on the ground there in Poland uh, as he continues to build relationships with government officials and others uh, in this work of adoption. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessings uh, on, on these things. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the opportunity to, uh, Lord, learn more about you and about who you are and about the work that, that you have done in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for the fact that, that you are God and you are in control of all things. Uh, and Lord, as we, as we recognize you uh, and who you are as Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, Lord, we lift up the needs specifically around Poland today, God, and we pray that you would uh, continue to work in these families we thank you for the families that you have raised up to care for and adopt these children. Uh, we thank you for the families that have been able to bring their children home, and we pray your blessings on them as they make adjustments and uh, prepare for their new lives together. We pray also, Lord, for the work that's happening there in Poland, and uh, God, that you would uh, lay on the hearts of the officials there, God, to understand the need for adoption, to understand the heart of Lifeline, and uh, really, Lord, that you would continue to give us favor there, even in the midst of, of difficult circumstances and situations. We pray specifically for the children of Poland, God. You promised in your word that you would be the father of the fatherless. And so we pray, God, that you would uh, hold these children close to you, but then also that you would lay it on the hearts of your people to step in and provide forever love and support and care for them. We thank you, God, for our team that continues to work diligently to uh, make connections for these children. And we pray that you'd give them wisdom and favor uh, with government officials, with uh, others who care for children in country. And God, we pray you just continue to open up additional doors of opportunity for us to minister or to uh, the orphans there in that country. Lord, again, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your, your working in and through Lifeline. May you continue to do so and continue to look to you for our strength, for our wisdom, for direction. Uh, and may you just continue to use us in whatever way you see fit. For in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. 
For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Mm-hmm.